So if you'll click to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, all the way to verse 37. We're going to look at a real familiar stretch of Scripture, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, whether you know Scripture, you don't know Scripture, whether you've never read the Bible, whether you're a student of the Scripture, you know the story. You know of the story of the Good Samaritan. So today we're going to look at that story and how it, how it applies to us. We're in this series called Love and Action. And so today I want to talk to you about my relationships. You see, when you look at the New Testament, you find that that spiritual maturity is revealed or spiritual maturity is measured by the way we love people. It's measured by the way we treat people. I mean, Jesus was the one that says, if you love only those who love you, what credit of that is to you? Because even the pagans can do that. But when the real sp spiritual maturity is found is when you can love those who don't love you, when you can love your enemies, when you can love those who persecute you, when you can bless those who persecute you. And so this message has a lot to, to, of insight or application into us, not only individually, but to us as a church. And so I want to look at the story in the Bible. It's called the Good Samaritan. It's one of those, those stories that, that many of us know, but, I, but, but I have a fear that over the years, it's just been, it's just been watered down. And we, we have totally missed what Jesus is trying to teach here. That the definition of the Good Samaritan has been so watered down to the point where, where we just use it to like cover virtually any and every kind of act of kindness or good deed. But listen, it is much deeper than that. What is a good neighbor? What is the Good Samaritan? In other words, the fact is there's a, there's a popular insurance company that says, like a good neighbor, we're there. Like a good neighbor, if you're in the ditch, we're going to get you out. But that only applies to people that are paying them. It only applies to people that are paying them to get them out of the ditch. Listen, if they're not my insurance company and I end up in a ditch, they're not going to come and rescue me. And so a lot of us don't understand the application of this in the Greek. Just in, in the Greek, the, the definition of good Samaritan says that his guts rose up within him. And he had to stop. He was compelled to stop. Even though this individual may have been one of his enemies, even though this individual wasn't anything like him, he was compelled to stop. See, being a good Samaritan means going out of your way to help a stranger in need, regardless of who they are, regardless whether you agree with them or not, regardless of, of any expectations of like recognition or thanks or paying you back. And so, so this, this story starts off with, with a question. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, here, here's what the scripture says. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And listen, stop right there. That's, that's a contradictory turn. That's a contradictory question. What must I do to inherit? I mean, if you inherit something, it's a gift. It's not, it's not what you do. See, religious people think, the more I do, the more God loves me. And so this, 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 this attorney, this lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But listen, it, it, it's, it's a gift. Inheritance, just by its definition, is not by, based on what you do. It's based on what somebody else has done. Our inheritance, though, Christ, in Christianity is based upon what our Heavenly Father has done. The, the price has been paid for us on the cross. As a result of that, we can come into a relationship with Him, not based upon what we've done, but based upon what He's done. And so this, this lawyer, this man, asked him a question, and, 
And let me stop right there and just tell you, this lawyer in, in Scripture is not like, not like what we think of a lawyer today. This lawyer was like a religious lawyer. He was a lawyer of the, of the Torah, of the Jewish community. Society was based on the Jewish law, the Torah, the five, five first books of the Old Testament. And so this man was an expert in the religious law. He was an expert in, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so Jesus goes on and gives him an answer. So verse 26, and he said, well, what is written in the law? And then how do, you, how do you read it? And so the lawyer answered him and said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, well, you've answered correctly. Do this, it's important, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said, Now, well, if you want me to do this, then let's define, who, who, who's my neighbor? I mean, who's my neighbor? See, for, for the Christian, there must be genuine love. What, what the, the scriptures compel us? There must be genuine love for everyone. Jesus talks about having a love for your enemies and, and having a love for those that disagree with you, having a love for those that are not like you. And, and he talks about having a love uh, for your neighbor. And so we're told to love everyone throughout the scriptures. And so what the lawyer was asking is, is how many people do I need to include within my circle? I mean, in other words, he was wanting to make his circle really, really small. He wanted to try to keep it small. What he was saying was, do I, do I, have, to, do I have to love people that are, that are non-Jews? Do I have to love people that I do disagree with? Do I have to love people that are different than me politically and they vote differently than me? Do I have to love people that I disagree with? See, this, what, what we're seeing right here, this is where the law meets love. And then Jesus references the story. Listen, he references this, this account, this, this encounter. This, this, he references a story that actually happened. And everybody knew the story. I mean, it may have been just reported in like the Jerusalem chieftain, and they sent a reporter out, and they got the story, and they published it in the, in the, in the local newspaper. And so Jesus goes on in verse 30 and says, And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. He changed lanes, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. That word's really important, compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and, and wine and then sent him on his, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, for whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now listen, if, you were, if you're familiar with the geography, if you're familiar with this place, you understand you get what Jesus is talking about. And you could actually still go there today. Uh, we weren't able to go there the last time we were there because of Jericho and some of the things that were happening on the West Bank. But, but you can go from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it actually drops 4,000 feet. And so the road is really steep and really dangerous. And, and, and so there's a, there's a halfway point. And it's for those people that can't make it in, in like one day, 
And it takes them two, day to, two days to make that journey. And so there's a halfway point. And at the halfway point, there's, there, there's an end. And so most people believe this is the end that Jesus is, is like talking about where this story had happened. And so we know this man's possessions and his money was seized and stolen. And so they, they, they took his clothes. And so now he's, he's naked and he's bleeding. And, and the man is left to die in the scorching sun. And so this man is, is a Jew. And, and the, good Samaritan is, is the, the good Samaritan is a Samaritan, of course. And, and he came along and he helped him. And, and so this was unheard of for a Samaritan to help a Jew or a Jew to help a Samaritan. And so when you look at the scripture, you realize the church is to be the hand and the eyes and the mouth of Jesus. And and I'm not so sure we still have the same influence in the community that, that Jesus did. And how, listen, how we answer this question as a church will determine our future in a pandemic. Are we going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Are we going to serve the poor? Are we going to help the hurting? Are we going to come along someone and see them, side of someone, see them in the ditch and help them? So a lawyer asks a question, and, and, and he's trying to trap Jesus. And, and so Jesus just starts off in answering the man's question in an area where he feels really, really comfortable. And he, he starts off with this issue of, of knowledge. And so, so Jesus said what was written in the law, and, and how do you read it? And the religious man read it, memorized it, recited it. He knew it. And so that's, listen, that's how religious people define what it means to be spiritual. How much Bible do you know? How many scriptures do you know? How many scriptures have you memorized? How many doctrines do you know? But Jesus said, Jesus is the one that said this, the one thing that marks a follower of mine is how they love other people. And so this man gets like an A-plus on, on the test. I mean, he says, you have answered correctly. Your knowledge is, is good, and you have answered correctly. But that, that doesn't mean you understood it. That doesn't mean you can apply it. In other words, knowledge is not the goal. The goal is to love people. The, the, the goal is to take the scriptures and to apply them to your life. And this verse is saying that God wants us to have a loving relationship with him. He wants us to have a loving relationship with those around us. And so this religious person was like struggling with it. It's a lawyer struggling with it because he believed, listen, he believed it's just all knowledge. It's just based upon what you know. And that's why Jesus replied and he just simply says, well, well just do this. Just do this and you'll live. In fact, is Jesus told him that two times. And the religious guy's like, well, what do you mean do this? You don't want me just to know this? I mean, you want me to, you want me to live this? Listen, if you want to receive a lot of emails as a pastor, just tell a group of people, you not, you not only need to know this, you need to do this. You need to live this. The blessing in Scripture, what Jesus said, is our action. It's not just in knowing. It's not just in hearing, but it's in, the, it's in the doing. And so the Christian maturity is coming to this place to where we understand that. Christian maturity is, is tested in our life is when, when we learn to love others that are different than us. And Jesus believed that you could have a love relationship with God that was characterized by love. It's more than just knowledge and more than just rules and regulations. It's more than just saying the right stuff or knowing the right scriptures or knowing the right things, but it's the way that we apply it. In other words, Jesus would say, if you don't love God and people, then, then, then you've missed it. See, the other men that passed to the other side of the road, they, they weren't bad people. They were just busy. It's easy for us. We know this, right? It's easy for us to get so busy that we honestly don't really notice the needs of others. 
the religious leaders were preoccupied and they had more important things to do than help this man. And, and I just, I, I just got to tell you, I see myself so often in the scripture and it can, it can serve as, it can serve as an ugly mirror. On my way to church or on my way home from church, sometimes I can see someone in need, but I'm, I'm busy and I keep moving. And you see, your, your neighbor is not only someone who looks like us and acts like us or votes like us or, or who lives like us or has the same color skin as ours. Our neighbor is anyone, especially those in need. Came across a story just recently, and I think it was a USA Today, and in California, more than 600 lawyer hopefuls were taking the bar exam in the Pasadena Convention Center when a 50-year-old man taking the test suffered a heart attack. Only two of those 600 test takers stopped to help the man. John Leslie and Eunice Morgan stopped and they administered CPR until the paramedics arrived. Then they resumed, resumed taking the exam but citing policy. The test supervisors ref, refused to allow the two additional time to make up for the 40 minutes that they had spent helping the man out until the paramedics arrived. State Bar of Office of Admissions backed the decision stating if these two want to be if these two wanted to be lawyers, then they should learn a lesson about priorities. It was covered in the San Francisco Bay Area newspaper, and the public outcry was, like, incredible. And as you can imagine, and they forced the state board to change their mind, and they were finally permitted to take the test again. And the additional time was granted. Now, listen, I have a, I have a number of friends that are, that are attorneys that are lawyers. Um, and in fact, is I have one really close friend that's a, a Christian lawyer. He serves at a, a Christian law firm that they do corporate law and they do church law. And so on the corporate law side, uh, they char charge the normal rate. They use the profits from the corporate law saw, side to fund the church law side to where they're able to offer legal fees or legal, legal aid and legal help at a, at, a, at a fee that a church can afford that's greatly reduced and sometimes they, they don't even charge for their services. And so I know a number of lawyers that, that are good Christian men and women and I believe if they had been in that room taking the test that day, they would have been one of the ones that would have stopped and helped, and helped the man. I also believe they would have billed him. <laughs> But they would have helped him. I think that's hilarious. So anyway, Jesus is reminding us that, we, that as we serve, we serve with the right motives. And we serve to glorify him and not ourselves. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, give glory to your, the fa to your Father who is in heaven. It's not that they see your good deeds and, pray, and praise you or your church. It's they see your good deeds and you praise, your, praise your Father in heaven. See, that's what matters. That's what matters when we allow our light to shine, that they give glory and we give glory to him. And Jesus tells this story, and it doesn't end there. Now, he goes back to the, the lawyer kind of eyeball to eyeball, for, and he gives him a challenge. And, and so Luke chapter 10, verse 36, he said, Well, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who, full among, who, who fell among the robbers? And he said to the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus again says, Well, you go, and you, you like, do likewise. You go, and you do this. And Jesus is saying, don't be so concerned about your neighbor, about who your neighbor is. 
Instead, be proactive. And so I just want to challenge you with three words that, that Jesus used to challenge this lawyer uh, with as well. The first one is this, is just compassion. Just this word of compassion. Love means feeling compassion. The man felt compassion for this man. He wasn't, he wasn't hard-hearted. He wasn't too busy. He saw this man was in need, and he met that need. In other words, this man felt compassion for this man that was in a ditch that was having problems. And sometimes we, we can see a need. We can see a need, whether it's in a community or the family, or we can see a need in a church. And, and we, just, we just hope and pray that somebody else steps up to serve or somebody steps up to give or somebody steps up to take care of that, that situation. But if we can extend compassion face-to-face and hand-to-hand, and if we can't do that, if we can't extend compassion face-to-face and hand-to-hand, then we are falling short of of what Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. First John 4.12 says, No one has seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the first word is compassion. The second word is just simply action. Love is not just feeling compassion. It's more than just feeling pain. It's more than just seeing the need. I mean, it's, it's love is, or compassion is like, is technically love in action. It's action. It's, it's getting involved. It's feeling pity for them. But it doesn't end there as to where it actually moves us to do something. Listen, as I was researching and, and finishing up this sermon, I had, a, I had a friend call me, and, and he told me about a pastor, uh, John Powell, is his name. And John Powell is a pastor. He's a young guy, 38 years old, a wife and four kids. And, and he serves a church in New Caney, Texas, which is outside of Houston. And, and, uh, and so John Powell is just a really great guy. And, and he was going home from church this last week. And on his way home, he came up on an accident. A car had been hit by a truck. The car was on fire. There were people in the, in the automobile. So John Powell and another man pulled over. They began getting the people out of the car. And so unfortunately, John Powell Powell was struck by a semi-truck that came by, and he was, he was killed. And from what I understand, this is the way John Powell lived his life, but here's the interesting thing. When you go back and look, John Powell's last sermon was on Psalm 72 to his church just a few days earlier. And it was talking about being willing to help those in needs, being willing to help and be a good neighbor. And in fact, is John Powell's last prayer that he prayed over his church, he, he made this statement. He says, and he prayed that in the, in the poor man's distress, Christians might be there. John Powell was one of those guys that actually lived out what he believed. He lived out what he preached. It might, might mean expressing compassion for those in, in your family or for those in your neighborhood or for people that are around you. It's expressing compassion in your local church and, and getting involved in, in meeting a need, getting involved through your giving because we are mobilizing our church more and more to meet needs in this community. Your giving is never more important to this community, to this church than in this time. It may mean getting outside of your circle of friends and expanding your circle uh, outside of maybe even your comfort zone and bringing people in that you may, you may not agree with politically and you may not agree uh, in some other areas of life. They may be different than you, but you're extending compassion to those that are not like you. It may mean being a, being a kind person when you're at the grocery store or the restaurant, when someone at the front, the front doors asks you just to simply wear a mask. They didn't make that rule. They're just simply doing what their supervisor asked them to do. They're trying to pay a light bill, a, a rental on a house, a food, and some other things. 
Man, they didn't come up with that rule. We're hearing story after story of people out in the community that are actually rude and mean to people as they walk in and say, hey, do you just, do you mind putting a mask on? It may mean signing up for a buddy system in our church and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to help somebody in need, even if I don't know them. I'm just going to find a way to meet a need. When you look at this issue of spiritual maturity, it's people who are pursuing a relationship with God in community with other believers. It's just the issue of community. When you look at this Samaritan, he cared about a man that he never met, and he helped and loved a man that could have honestly could have been one of his enemies. He sacrificed for a man that could not pay him back, and two times in the Scripture, Jesus comes back and tells this man to go and do likewise. Likewise, it's just, it's just not knowledge. It's more than that. Remember, the, the, the lawyer and the man ask him, and who is, who is my neighbor? That's, your, that's a really passive question. And Jesus changed it into like an active question. And he says, well, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? It was the one that helped him out of a ditch. Your neighbor is the one you're willing to help out of a ditch when they're in a ditch. This man was willing to come into community and help his neighbor. The problem today is many churches in this pandemic are moving to the other side of the road. Man, our staff met for hours this last week of how we can aggressive meet more needs in this community, more needs for people that are in need, where we could extend compassion to people and be the hands and the feet and the eyes of Jesus Christ. We're looking for more ways to minister into this community right now. Listen, when you give to this church, you're investing in people. You're investing in this community. What would happen is us as a church, if we just took these teachings seriously, the third and the last challenge for you is just, just sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something that you love more. Unfortunately, we no longer believe, when you look at contemporary Christianity many times, we no longer believe that sacrifice is a part of our worship. We've kind of taken that whole deal out. And many believe, we, we, many believe a sovereign God serves us instead of we serve a sovereign God, and that's where life is found. Sometimes special situations, special circumstances, pandemics, call us for a special expression of love an extra amount of kindness because we understand what people are walking through, faith, hope, and love. But what Scripture says, but the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Love is just not self-sacrifice. It's, it's sacrifice with no expected return. It's sacrifice with no expected someone telling you thank you. Imagine what this would mean for our community. Imagine what this would mean for our church if we understood what real spiritual maturity was about. Jesus is the one that said, and they will know that you are mine the way you love one another. Today, I'm asking you to go on this journey with us as we discover what real spiritual maturity is about because I think we have a golden opportunity to rise up be the church, love a community well, and minister to them. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? 
Let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? And more importantly, what is your, what is your, what is your next step? How does he want you to respond to this? Do you, do you need to learn to take a next step in meeting some needs, meeting some needs of people around you in the local church or in our church? Whatever God is asking you to do, would you just simply do that? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you that we can have a love relationship with you and with those around us. Father, may people know that Fellowship the Rockies, the people that attend here, may, we, they, may this community know that we are followers of you because the way that we love this community well, Father, we want to serve this community, not do anything to this community. And so, Father, would you use Fellowship the Rockies, would you use us as we journey deeper into a relationship with you and one another? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.